Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is... Beth Mantle. Hey, y'all. Dave Clark. Hello. There we go. Yeah, look at that. Uh, Mickey is not able to join us today. He is feeling a bit under the weather, uh, but we're holding it down for you guys. Uh, the news has been, I don't know, I wouldn't say fresh or new or anything, but we have not had a chance to talk about the roster announcements that the Sounders made uh, over the last uh, week or so, I guess. Uh, and it's mostly mostly contract uh, option declines that are relevant. I don't think any of this came as a big surprise, uh, but we may as well start with the bit of positive news. Uh, the Sounders did add Sam Adeneron to their roster. He'll uh, join the team starting in 2022. Uh, he is not eligible for the expansion draft, so the Sounders don't need to worry about uh, protecting him or losing him, but uh, he will have a first-team contract going forward. Dave, you surely have the most uh knowledge of sam's game what 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 do you think this says about him i i I think he's one of those that definitely performed with tacoma defiance and earned his contract based off of that performance that's something that you know frequently we see the uh the defiance signings and there's somebody like reed baker whiting who is obviously signed for potential sam adinarin at uh 23 now was signed because he's the uh single season scoring leader for the the s2 defiance franchise with 13 goals uh, early in the season was very strong, pulled off like wonder goals. It seemed like every week for about a month and a half uh, late in the season, he became a much more complete player pressing more effectively defensively and his move out to the wing enabled him to integrate with uh, a center forward and uh, the wing backs much better than he had it previously. I think that's really kind of what, made him a signing because just being a big center forward that's fast um that's something that is out there like replacement level players at that that capability are around but the uh the integration with the team uh is is kind of what to me cemented his future with seattle rather than just some random team so the centers have signed quite a few players from s2 slash defiance but they have not necessarily signed a lot of players at Sam's, you know, relatively advanced age. And I say that only because it's silly to be calling it sounds silly to be calling a 23 year old an advanced age, but you know, their development is sort of like their development path is oftentimes forged uh, well in advance of, of that. Uh, but they, the, the closest comparable, I think is probably Justin Dillon. How would you compare him as a prospect to Justin Dillon? Uh, I think there's reason to, to feel that Sam is, has more left in his development curve. And 
he didn't really get a full season of play anywhere until this last year. Whereas Justin was much more of a known quantity and Justin's um, limited playing time with galaxy two Los Dos was due to injury, uh, not an inability to earn playing time. Whereas Sam Adinaran moved around uh, Portugal, Spain, and Germany's lower leagues, basically every six months uh, for most of his adult life. Uh, I think that there's reason to feel that his potential is much higher than Justin Dillon's. Uh, his ability to contribute in year one is probably similar to Justin. You know, uh, Justin did a great job of finding space. Uh, I think it was Brian Schmetzer once credited him with two wins uh, in that, that 2019 season. Um, and the reason why, I think the phrase was two wins, which is basically why we're able to host MLS Cup. So, you know, for a replacement level forward, adding two wins, great. Um, maybe Sam does that with goals rather than forcing an own goal, uh, which would be more spectacular. But, um, you know, they're both, Sam's probably going to have a longer career in MLS. Uh, one, he's fast, and there's always room for fast players. Uh, and his ability to shoot from distance is, uh, is a significant differentiator. He also, I think, showed glimpses of what he can be in that start against Austin, where he, you know, he was a handful for those Austin defenders. And I, and I don't think it's hard for anyone to have seen that game and think, okay, you know, here's a player making his first MLS appearance. And, you know, granted, it's Austin FC and they weren't, they weren't great, but, you know, they, they had MLS quality, they had MLS defenders. Uh, and he, he was everything they could handle in that game. He was uh, maybe a little unlucky not to score or be involved in a goal. Yeah, it was, it was a great performance um, and, and a great start. I think what you'll see is he goes up against more MLS center backs. You'll watch him struggle, which is part of why I liked him moving to the left wing is because uh, I feel bad for MLS fullbacks and wingbacks trying to guard him. Uh, he's just bigger, stronger, and faster than all of them. Uh, and so when he comes in from that angle, he'll be able to dominate um, regularly as opposed to when he goes up into those central channels, um, there are going to be MLS center backs that um, can handle. So I wanted to, this is maybe getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I, I do think it's an interesting thing because the defiance played a little bit more of a three, four, three at times than the Sounders really, really did. Do you imagine, like, how, how do you imagine that? And I don't necessarily think they signed Sam and Denron because they're planning on playing a three, four, three, but I do think, you know, you have a Jordan Morris, you have some other pieces that might, you have Leo Chu, you have these other pieces that seem like they could potentially fit a little bit better in a three, four, three. Do you, did you, do you see much from this uh, slate of roster moves that would maybe suggest that sort of change? And, and how does a three, four, three really look different than, uh, the three four two one that we saw the Sounders playing mostly this year. Well, I'll start with that second part first. That uh, the house basically the two attacking midfielders. Uh, there were times when you could list Defiance's three four three as that same three four two one, and it was basically determined by the personnel who was the those underneath forwards or attacking midfielders. If they would excel at wide positions like a Ray Serrano or Sam Adinaran when he was starting, you would call it a three four three. But if they were kind of narrow players, more like a Marlon Vargas or, you know, it's kind of the difference between how Freddie Montero played underneath as to how Christian Roldan played underneath. Um, 
Freddie was central almost always. Didn't go out to the wing very often. Uh, Will Bruin as well was central, playing more as an attacking midfielder. Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris, if you put them in that attacking band, all of a sudden, uh, it doesn't matter if you call it a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1. They're going to play like wide players because that's what they are uh, when they're in attacking spaces. Christian obviously can pull in and, and play central more when he's defensive. So it really comes down to personnel. And as you mentioned, Sam Adinaran suits for that wider role. Jordan Morris does, Leo too. And maybe uh, they still call it a 3-4-2-1 because maybe Nico Ladero's there and he plays central. And Jordan Morris, Leo too, Sam Adinaran are on the other of the, the underneath and they play wide. And it's kind of an asymmetric thing without a easily defined X, Y, Z uh, question mark notation and it's just how they play and they'll play with one guy that's wide and one guy that's underneath in more of a free role and so the really the difference between a 3-4-3 and a 3-4-2-1 if we're to kind of boil it down is how wide those two other players are essentially like if they're narrower that's kind of more of the house formation if they're wider that's more of a 3-4-3 yeah and and both Tacoma and Seattle flexed between those those two pretty frequently um, throughout the season. So I want to move it over to you, Beth, and, and maybe the, not as fun of a, a topic, but uh, most of what we've seen happen over the last 10 days or so is a whole litany of players whose contract options were declined or were allowed to move into free agency. Who among that list struck you as maybe the most surprising or uh, to, in a different angle, maybe the most uh, disappointing? regardless um, of surprise. Before I get to that, I think everyone needs to take a look at Sam Adenaran's Instagram because I think he could easily be an Instagram model if the soccer thing doesn't work out. And I find Absolutely it very valid. interesting. I had spent the entire time that Dave was talking about formations looking at his Instagram. So yeah. There's <laughs> Do you have that. any highlights you want to pull out for us? No, he just there's a bunch of pictures of him in fancy suits. It's very fun. He, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. look yeah. at that. He is a... <laughs> Wow, he is, yeah. has a distinct sense of style for sure. It's very fun. Yeah, yeah there's some uh, West or Central African tones from uh, his Nigerian uh, background, um, if I'm remembering his country of origin correctly. Mm-hmm. And he definitely leans into those modern high fashion elements that like combine, you know, Western fashion with uh, with uh, classic African stylings. It's a uh, like and dude, dude presents it all well too um you know it, it's not it, jeremiah and i could buy a nice suit but we wouldn't look good kind of thing no, this, whereas this pink number is amazing yeah i think that's pink i'm glad to put you all on this yeah this is I'm happier this is good experiencing stuff. this this is good stuff okay yeah so what was my question uh who's, <laughs> which which players that are were out that are now out of contract were you either the most surprised by or alternatively disappointed by? Um, I'm, this isn't one of the adjectives you gave me, but I'm sad about Jordy Delenn. I okay. forgot about him, but also I love him. So yeah. I hope he comes back and I hope he gets over his injury. I feel like they don't usually cut people, like formally cut people when they're coming back from an injury. So I feel like maybe we'll see him, but I don't yeah. know. I, I would be. I, I think I would be very surprised if he doesn't at least 
come back to camp next year. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, I think like the least surprising one for me, I again don't remember if that was one of the adjectives you gave me. Yeah, it was. Um, but I think would be um Nico Benize. Um, I-, I might get a little bit of hate for this, but I thought everyone knew that this was the deal, like when we signed him like yeah. six months ago. Like he's he was making $650,000, which puts him as like the sixth highest earner on the team. Um, and the only reason we were able to bring him in for the, the second half of the season was because Colorado was essentially paying all of his salary, if I'm correct. You are correct. Um, so we just like got him to come hang out for free, which is super exciting. Great move, honestly. Yeah, it, it was a great move, and it was designed, I think, from the outset to be a short-term solution. And I feel like we've done that a few seasons now. I think yeah. we picked up Luis Silva last season, which wasn't yeah. on the same magnitude, but it's a similar vibe. Yeah, that was. I think that was a that was 2019. But yes, oh, it was well, a similar type of move. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I, you know, this was. I think maybe what swayed people's minds is that a lot of us fell in love with Nico Benize, and I think we mm-hmm. wanted to believe. Uh, he could come back. But I think that anyone that looked at it like logically knew that the, even in the best case scenario where he is playing for the Sounders in 2022, it's after his option got declined. Like there was no way the Sounders were going to pick up his option, which I assume was going to pay him somewhere in the neighborhood of $700,000. Or even if it's 600,000, $650,000, it wasn't like, there is no world where the Sounders were going to pay Nico Benazay who, I think had a, had a really good year and he exceeded any reasonable expectations, I think pretty significantly, but this is a player who, if the Sounders are fully fit, if Nico Ladero is back, if Jordan Morris is back, kind of go down the list of attacking players. I think there's a legitimate argument that he's going to be fighting for a roster spot, like a, a, a game day roster spot, let alone, like there's no way that he's going to be playing as heavily heavy minutes that he was at the end of this year if the Sounders are fully healthy. Now that's a big if, uh, but you know, you have to sort of plan for that when you're, when you're putting your roster together. Yeah. This feels a bit mean, but like, if you think about it just in terms of money, like I think the Sounders can do so much more with $700,000. Like that's, that's a big chunk of change. Um, And I think you could get someone that has a clear starting spot um, and is producing at a higher clip or you can spread it out over getting a bunch of a bunch of people i would say that the top priority of all those players who are currently out of contract is probably alex roldan and i think oh i've just blocked that out of my mind i'm just he's coming back he's not out of contract he's signed it in my mind yeah that's where i'm living that i think that has to be of all the players who are out of contract alex roldan is the number one priority without any question the Sounders have apparently extended him a bona fide offer, which means that they retain his MLS rights, but he's theoretically free to go out and look for a contract anywhere else in the world. That's not, uh, that's not the, that's not MLS. So there is some concern there. Now I will say that in his post postseason press conference scrum, uh, the, the stuff that was sort of off the record, uh, the Sounders were seemed pretty confident that at the very least, if Alex had a contract offer from somewhere else that he would give them an option to counter it and that they haven't sort of received that information tells them that they're in good position to bring him back. But there's a long distance between in good position to bring him back and actually signing him. 
but I would imagine a lot of the money that they like one of the, the problems that Garth illustrated and I think we've known about is that this is the third year of a flat salary cap that has compounding problems because every year you have players who are guaranteed raises, uh, which makes perfect sense, but it just is a reality that they have every year. If you're giving guys 5% raises and you have a flat salary cap, that means you are forced to make changes. And that's without even assuming guys that get, you know, merit raises that are above 5%. I would have think that Alex Roldan is one of those players who is due for a much bigger raise than 5%. So you got to factor that in. And then when you have Nico Benize, who you had on the books for something like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, and he's going to hit at $700,000, you can do the math and you, you realize that you gotta, there's gotta be give somewhere. You don't and... even need an Excel spreadsheet for that one. No, no. Like, that that's one's... just like back of the napkin math. Right. Exactly. And I think you can kind of do that with a lot of these players who they declined. Uh, Kellen Rowe, I think was a little surprising only because he, he was the only guy who played in every single game, but we don't know what his option was for. I think that there's a very high likelihood that he still ends up coming back. Freddie Montero, I don't know what his option for was for, but he was on the league minimum. I don't imagine that his option was for the league minimum, especially with an expansion draft coming up where if the Sounders had picked up his option, that means that the, uh, that the team, like let's just say he's on a league minimum option and they, the Sounders picked up that option. That means that, I mean, I don't think that's what, it, this is not what they did. And this is why I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to explain, I don't think it's a, for a league minimum option, because if it was for a league minimum option, clearly the Sounders would pick that up. But if they picked it up, then all of a sudden he's a very attractive player for uh, Charlotte FC to, to potentially take at the league minimum. I don't think Freddie Montero is interested in flying across the country and playing for an expansion team at the league minimum when he's he coming off. He doesn't have a coffee shop in Charlotte. He doesn't. And he's, this is a, player coming off a seven goal six season uh who hey if the Sounders can bring him back for a league minimum i guarantee that's what they're gonna try to you know like or even twice like right, or even twice like, like the Sounders are yeah. definitely i would think interested in bringing freddie back at like the bargain basement number that he's playing on but i don't think that's what his option was for and i think you can kind of go through the list of the the players who had their options declined and sort of make similar calculus spencer ritchie probably a similar situation uh jordy delam another one who I, I think we can assume the Sounders have some interest in bringing a lot of these players back. Uh, the players who I think, I think go ahead. Oh, I, I think we're about to head to the same spot. There are two that whose numbers will definitely be bigger because of their performance with Seattle this year. Almost certainly not back. Uh, Stephen Cleveland, uh, who looked to Little be a capable starter and deserves to get that couple hundred grand for uh, on his next contract. He should not be a, a minimum salary veteran anymore uh, or a journeyman like he, he has been. And then the other is Shane O'Neill, um, who was what, about 120-ish or so. And I think uh, as a fourth forward or a fourth center back in this league, um, who is capable of starting in, in a two or, or a three center back system, um, could probably double his, his salary because it's easy to point that he was a, a once highly touted prospect, U.S. national team prospect, Irish national team prospect, and uh, found the right scenery and showed pretty capably that he is uh, more like that than the player that he was last uh, two years ago. Yeah, in, in both the cases of Cleveland and O'Neill, the Sounders actually didn't have an option to decline. Oh. Those are both free agents. And I don't know what's good. I, I, I would be a little surprised if Cleveland came back for the reasons that you illustrated. 
I, I just don't think the Sounders are going to be able to compete for both his salary and the playing time that other teams presumably will be able to offer him. Shane O'Neill is an interesting one. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to go on there. I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Sounders brought him back, but I, I don't know that, you know, I, I think if there's one thing that's working in the Sounders favor of bringing back a Shane O'Neill, it's that everyone is basically in the same boat. It's the Sounders. No one has a lot of money to spend on internal uh, free agents. And so maybe the maybe the Sounders are able to get him for another year uh, on, you know, kind of like a, a, a little bit of a reduced deal. But I, I think of all the players who are out of contract right now, I think the only ones who to me strike me as particularly unlikely to be back are Shandon Hopio and Trey Muse, both of who were out on loan this year, uh, both who had, you know, like Muse was up and down. He, but he got hurt. Uh, Hopio, I, I don't know what his situation is. Do you know? I, I but I don't think he's going to be back. I hope he was in year two at basically playing essentially no minutes. Yeah. Um, with between like after a very strong 2019 that earned him an MLS contract. Um, unfortunately, his 2020 and 2021, uh, he might have 400 minutes between the two seasons. Yeah, and been, that's been, COVID's been tough yeah. on him, I think, uh, for a variety of. And maybe it's not COVID, but this COVID period has been tough on him. Jeremiah, can you give us good news about Will Bruin? Yeah, I don't I don't have any news on Will Bruin right now. I, that's the next person I was going to get to. I don't know what's going on with him, uh, to be honest with you. I I don't know that he knows what's going on with him right now. Uh, I, I would suspect that the Sounders have told him he's the other free agent that the Sounders have. Um, I would imagine the Sounders have told him they are they would like to bring him back at some number. I don't know that they've given him a number. I suspect that it's going to be something less than he was making last year, but he's a free agent. There's an expansion draft coming up. You know, I would imagine he will test the market. My assumption, he's a St. Louis guy. I would imagine he would be perfectly happy to go to St. Louis in 2023, but there's a year between now and then. He and should just stay here. I, I would like to think that the Sounders can figure out a way to bring him back, uh, but it, it's probably going to have to be at a reduced number from what he was on this year, which I think was like, 350 or something like that you don't think he wants to play for st louis mlx mls next pro which Probably, starts up next year they're right no, they're gonna I, have a lower division team before they have an upper yeah that's an interesting one uh which we can talk about later the whole mls next pro situation but yeah i mean i the sounders but have a lot at of 450 he was at 450 yeah i don't think he's coming back at 450 as as, as much as i would love to be able to tell you that uh i also hope his knee is okay yeah, we don't know. Right. He's coming off an injury. I mean, I, I think two there's injuries. Reason. Yeah. Compounding two. injuries. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there's, there's probably a logical reason for him to say, like, I'll do one more year in Seattle and sort of prove my worth and and maybe I'll, I'll get somewhere else. So, like, I, I don't know that that's I don't know exactly what's going on there. I wish I had some better sense of finality uh, one way or the other but I, I don't, I, I suspect we're going to, a lot of this will be clarified after the expansion draft. I think the Sounders are sort of taking the attitude that they don't want to put too many players under contract uh, without sort of letting the marketplace settle out a little bit. And I think the expansion draft is going to be a big part of that. There's a relationship there too, because um, Charlotte's number two on the sporting side is a former Sounder, uh, right. Mark Nichols, who used to run the Academy. Um, and do all the recruiting for Defiance S2 is their number two. And so in some ways, 
his familiarity with Seattle's players might increase the chance that if the Sounders put guys out there available, Charlotte swoops in just because they have that tiny bit more of knowledge. Uh, it's one of the plagues about being good is uh, all these teams out there. Austin has a connection, Colorado, Minnesota, and, and Charlotte all have uh, LA too as well. Uh, Los Dos all have former Sounders on them. So in some ways, uh, the more guys you have under contract right now, the more likely you would be to lose an expansion draft player for Charlotte to either keep or swap. So the, the player who I am most worried about losing in the expansion draft, and who knows, maybe the Sounders end up protecting him. We don't know exactly who the Sounders are going to protect, but if the uh, protectionator on Sounder at heart is to be believed, it's a pretty clear uh, top 12 that this, that most people seem to think the Sounders are going to protect. But the, the one who I think is going to be interesting is, uh, A.B. Sissoko. No. Now, remind me, Dave, was Sissoko in the organization when Nichols was there, or was that did he come after Nichols left? Uh, A.B. was a 2019 signing, so I think uh, was in the organization. They signed him halfway through 2019 and then immediately loaned him to an NISA team down in San Diego. Um, so he was under contract that year with Tacoma, but did not uh, – so I think that would have been Mark's uh, – I think Mark got hired during that season. So he might have been part of the scouting of Sissoko. So he might be familiar with Sissoko. Is what I hate saying. that. Yeah. Can we gatekeep yeah. A.B. Sissoko? I mean, we we could, but we probably mm. – I need to, to start expose... a misinformation campaign. Yeah, exactly. Uh, A.B. Sissoko is terrible at France, penalties. Right? Actually, <laughs> I, can just, I can just spam Twitter with that picture from the – cursed Whitecaps game where Stefan Cleveland was like jumping at AB like outside of the box and giving up a goal what if I just like spam Twitter with that picture love it then will we get to keep him maybe okay yeah it's worth I a think shot. it's worth it it's worth a shot Beth but yeah uh this is going to be interesting I, I think a lot of things are going to come into focus after the expansion draft uh there's also like I think the Sounders are in an okay position uh but there is I don't, I don't think this is going to be a particularly active offseason when it comes to bringing players in from outside the organization. Uh, like we said, we just listed off five or six uh, vet teams that players that were on the Sounders who are uh, probably in the, are, are at least potential returnees. But then there's a few other players who are either academy prospects or, or otherwise who are in the organization or affiliated with the organization who could join uh, Dylan Tevez, who, uh, had a two hat tricks uh, for Shut UW up. in the in the College Cup, or and now the they're going to the College Cup. I think he's a player who, if he comes out, uh, the Sounders are likely to sign. Uh, so there's one player, uh, and then they have guys from Defiance who look like they could potentially sign Obed Vargas, uh, Soda Kitahara, uh, who was on loan to in Austria this year. Uh, who else am I? There's a, a uh, Alex Villanueva who had two appearances for like six minutes as a hardship call. Jackson Reagan. Jackson Reagan. Uh, once they figure out his rights situation, um, we expect to get news on that at some point. But he's obviously like a local dude who dominated um, one of my favorites with Tacoma. Uh, and then some guys that are even deeper down the list because. Garth was pretty public about uh, feeling, finding a way to get to in the mid-20s. Uh, 
in his roster size, uh, just through signings from the Academy and defiance. Right. Yeah. He, he, he implied that the, they could have, like, they currently have 20 players under contract. Uh, They, they could be at, you know, that that's like, as of today, he said that they, he thought they would have at least 25 under contract when camp opens. And he thought they might open the season with something close to 30 players under contract. Yeah. I do have to correct his math. Uh, I think uh, he said that he'd never had like more than 28, which he expects to start with. There was one point in late 2016, it was mostly due to injuries that he topped out at like 31 due to injuries oh, and okay. loans. But his opening the season, he's generally been in that mid to upper 20s, kind of that 24 to 27 maybe. And depending on who gets brought back from those, uh, those various uh, option declines and free agents and those kinds of situations, uh, yeah, he was, he was like, yeah, we could be around 28 or 29. Um, he said with just between internal right. signings and retentions and, you know, for all of our frustrations about the playoff loss and the end of the season to start a CCL campaign with uh, essentially 28 or, or 29 guys with maybe tops one of those from what it sounds, maybe one at most from outside of the organization. So everybody basically knows the playing style, knows the coaches, knows each other. Uh, that's about as strong as you want when you're going to have a short preseason. Um, like that's the best you can hope for. Yeah. So like for talent retention, you want that. Um, if your first game is going to be a competitive match in either, you know, someplace like Hamilton, Ontario or Guatemala. The other thing that he said that I thought was interesting was we probably have two more windows of sort of COVID affected transfers, meaning that they are not going to be as active as they normally would. And, and so I, I don't, I like my expectation for this winter window or like maybe zero outside the organization signings. Like I, I think that's entirely possible, even though he did note that uh, Jao Paolo will not count as a full DP next year. And that one of those three DP spots will be a non uh, full DP, which means that they will p- be able to sign uh, two more U22 players. I, he did not give any indication that they were going to sign those U22 players immediately. I think maybe best case we, we were looking at in the summer for that. But he also noted that usually in the transfer window before a World Cup, the transfer window is usually slower than normal. And because the, the World Cup is happening in November next year, the summer transfer window may also be a little bit slow. So we might not be looking at a real like active transfer window until the winter after world cup, which would be a year from now. So potentially two more windows where relatively low amounts of movement that would also line up with uh, MLS having a, a flat salary cap. The centers don't have a lot of free money. I don't know. Let's assuming the Sounders bring back a roster looking similar to what it does right now. How are you guys feeling about going into champions league with the roster as we see it, you know, assuming some additions like an Alec rolled on or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think there's one big question mark going into the CCL campaign, which is Raul Rui Diaz, which I didn't think was going to be a question mark, but now all of a sudden it is. And that makes me nervous. That's that's a big one. And I think that's one where if if something happens there and it should be said that outwardly Garth 
said, you know, he unequivocally said our expectation is that role is back in 2022. Now what happens beyond that? He was openly saying, you know, that's why we're trying to get him signed to a longer term extension, but he did not make it sound like they're preparing to lose him this off season, but it, but Raul is making it sound like he might be gone this off season. Uh, and that would, I would think change a lot of calculations very quickly. Jordan Morris said it forward. Uh, Beth, what kind of leverage is he using in negotiation? Um, I think that he's trying to use fan sentiment as leverage. Uh, it makes the Sounders look bad. It makes them want to correct the messaging and how it looks. Um, and I also think that the Sounders, when they were linked to that other Liga MX player, were trying to increase their bat note, which is their best alternative to the negotiated something. I don't know. It's an <laughs> acronym uh, because that gives them more leverage. Just get, we got to uh, apply your, your college education to. I got to uh, study for my final. Hurt. I'm studying. Yeah. Thank you, Raul, for letting me study. The other big question mark when you talk about CCL, uh, you know, you're setting, would we be happy? And I think uh, one of those is. Alternative. The the A Nico. stands for alternative. Alternative. Yeah. Uh, set us up with uh, what you feel about Nico before we're supposed to answer about CCL. Because the. No, you know, that's a great, I think that's, back, that's part of it. Yeah. I don't like having both Raul and Nico being a question mark. That feels problematic. And again, like, I don't, I don't know how I like Nico's situation is maybe even more concerning than Raul's in that, you know, we've just gone through essentially two years of him dealing with various injuries and seem or the same injury and seemingly have like Dave and I have sort of debated this, whether or not he's actually been given a chance to rest. And in my estimation, it, it feels like he has been given time to rest. And that's what is more concerning. I guess there's a caveat there that he did manage to get through all of last season, essentially uninjured. So it, it isn't like he has been entirely broken for two years, but that he keeps having his knee flare up the way that it has been does create some, some concern. Now, again, the Sounders are moving forward seemingly under the assumption that he's going to get fit for, for next year. And I suppose we should take some confidence in that. How long he's able to stay healthy, though, is, uh, is a concern, I think, because best I can tell, he's got two years left on his contract. And, you know, right now it feels like the best case is that they get one more full year out of him. Yeah, I think it's important to remember we feel like it's two years, but he was a 2020 MVP candidate uh, finalist. Right. Um, like he would finish fifth in the voting that year. Jordan finished third. Uh, so even though it feels like forever uh, with the way that the soccer season is, is structured, um, we've only essentially had one set of games where he's been impacted. The problem is he what had two surgeries within that year um or was it three we had um, he yeah so he had his my as far as i know he had a surgery that happened during the off season between 2019 and 2020 and he ended up not having to miss much time in 2020 because the season was obviously delayed so much uh like he only i think he only missed the uh, mls's back tournament and and the early part of the the original part of the season but uh, actually, did he even he played in MLS's back, didn't he? He played MLS's back. He just uh, one of the rare yay, hooray for COVID things was the fact that uh, Nico spent those three months uh, kind of casually rehabbing, right? If that makes sense, rather than 
there was no urgency to get back uh, quickly. Um, but then, obviously, this off, last offseason, he had a, a surgery. And, and then, then he had end. another one during the season to clean up more of what they found. And, and that's probably what, why everybody's concerned is that he's right. had multiple rehabs, multiple surgeries. Um, but if we get the second half of 2020, Nico, remember the first half was basically a, a suspended season. If we get the 2020 second half Nico back and if we retain Raul, um, should be able to advance in the first round. I mean, there's CCL. no reason. I mean, there's no reason that Sounders. I mean, if, if you assume a fully fit Jordan Morris, a fully fit Christian Roldan, a fully fit Joe Paolo, a fully fit uh, Nico Ladero, a fully fit Raul Ruiz Diaz, Jamar, Steph Fry, Nuhu, Ariag. I mean, you can put out a best eleven. I think that you can talk yourself into believing is one of the favorites to win CCL next year. Uh, pretty easily even like I, I think you 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 roll that team out there and I, I I really like this team's chances of of contending for CCL but there's some big assumptions built into that yeah and some of that's like they could still get a first round draw against Santos Laguna and and then I would not say they're because if you have to go through Santos Laguna and then three more Mexican sides you know the, the draw Santos Laguna um, who they beat by the way in League's Cup <laughs> yeah but you know, one of the things that, that uh, people like to point to for one of Garth's biggest successes was, was the deep run of Real Salt Lake. And then you look at their CCL run. They didn't and, beat any Mexican uh, teams, I don't think. Yeah, like the draw matters a lot. Like the first, the opening round has two teams that concern me in uh, Santos Laguna and Saprisa. And then after that, uh, I'm not really concerned. But, you know, then matchups after that are either going to be other MLS teams or league MX. Yeah. The gap in quality between like in what the draw could mean for teams in the CCL is pretty vast. Like there are teams that are barely professional in that draw. And then there are teams that are, you know, potentially contending for league MX titles in the, in the first round draw. Uh, So yeah, the draw is going to be a big deal. I think that's fair to say Uh, the draw, by the way, I think is December 15th, which is, uh, two days after or several days after MLS Cup. Uh, so coming up in about, I guess, in about a week. Week and a half. Week, yeah, yeah, week and a day. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, to, a lot to still sort out. I think we'll have a much better handle on all of this uh, probably in about 10 days' time, and we'll, we'll hopefully have some clarity as to what's going on with the Sounders roster. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting offseason, although, like I said, I don't think it's going to be super active in terms of bringing in players from outside the organization. Uh, may end up looking a lot like last offseason, uh, where the Sounders only made three signings. All of them had very strong ties to the Seattle area or the Sounders. Uh, I, I don't know that my expectation is anything different than that. Uh, so, yeah, uh, should be an interesting one. We're, we're now in the offseason. Uh, I'm, I, I find myself being somewhat appreciative of having some downtime at this time of the year, as much as I would have loved to see the Sounders still playing in this thing. Uh, I, I am, I am va- valuing uh, these, these few weeks where I could kind of get my head around stuff. I think it well, is Garth- as oh. hella greedy to try to win every trophy as it is to appreciate times of rest and yes. self-care. And yes. so I am being hella greedy about not having to pay attention to a million soccer games during the month of December. Yep. Like 
Garth kind of mentioned it. The the staff is exhausted, and in some ways, the Sounder Heart staff is exhausted. You go to yes. four MLS Cups in six years. Um, that shortens your off season quite a bit. Um, and so this is, the, in some ways, the short rest gives an opportunity for the non-players to catch up. Um, going out early should help a little bit in that, just in their mental health. Um, so that's kind of a, a positive thing. Uh, and then real quick, Jeremiah, you mentioned next week being busy. MLS Cup, ABC, Unimas um, for broadcast. But then there's a trade window, the expansion draft, and then free agents, and then like the five other drafts that MLS does. Yeah. Um, all of those basically start next week. So it's one of those times where the Sounders will be either incredibly boring or um, we'll all be getting constant messages from Jeremiah. Who can pick up that story? Because I'm already working on this one kind of situation. Right. So yeah, gonna it's going to be... Gonna... Yeah, there's really only one offseason for MLS, and that is like the two weeks between the uh, between the ends of those drafts and and the actual super draft. And then once the super draft starts, it's like a mad dash for the, the super regulars. draft is no longer super. They need to rebrand that. Can it they, be they probably do. MLS MLS next pro graduate <laughs> draft? <laughs> I feel the like draft it's for more guys accurate. might it's play not super anymore. Yeah. Well, the super was we, never because of uh, how a combined that draft. draft was. It is because they combined the college draft with another draft that no one remembers. But it used to be yeah. more exciting. There was a time when the super draft was much more super feeling. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but it's been it's been a while. Uh, I used to watch the, Sounders, the live stream while competing at a DECA competition. Exactly. Like that was my like annual tradition. It used to be on TV. It actually wow. was on. E- I, there was a time when it was on ESPN. Now that's live. super. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, that's. I know we didn't get into the uh, MLS Next Pro. That I feel like that's maybe a discussion we can have a little bit later. But the logo's uh, bad. There you go. The, that's the logo the is bad. But as far as the Sounders are concerned, they're still like I don't know that the average. Uh, viewer is going to notice much difference between Tacoma Defiance in the USL Championship and the Tacoma Defiance in uh, MLS Next Pro, assuming they retain Dave's uh, talents and they don't farm it out to some national broadcast uh, studio. So yeah, it's, it's currently uh, the local interests want me and Andrew Harvey back, uh, but some of that might depend on national contracts. Yeah. Uh, and I've said this before, I, I think it's the, of the launch year, three of the teams are teams that you've played before, Timbers 2, Real Monarchs, uh, Sporting Kansas City 2, and then after the next year, Los Dos and whatever LAFC's relationship is, um, that'll be the same. Uh, so half the teams in year two of MLS Next Pro are teams that Tacoma Defiance uh, fans have seen already. So it's not like there's not this enormous difference. And it's the same badge, the same name. Um, so that's I, I, the quick version. Yeah, and I, I guess you bring it up. Are the, are the Sounders the only team, the only MLS team who fielded a USL championship team last year who aren't playing in the USL championship in 2022? Real Monarchs moved. Oh, the Real um, Monarchs moved, okay. And they're, they, kept, like, they have a, an interesting name as opposed to – Sporting Kansas City too was in the Mountain Division, so we ne- we didn't see them for two whole years thanks to COVID. The last time 
Defiance S2 played against Sporting. They had an interesting name. They were called Swope Park Rangers. Um, but now they're just the boring Sporting 2. Um, mm. And they're moving over from the They got the rid USL of the Swope Park Rangers? Well, they also don't play in Swope Park anymore. Um, <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. So they're, they're just, they just play at uh, whatever Sporting's normal children mercy. They just play there in front of like 12 people. Um, which I think is going to be the plan for several of the MLS teams in MLS next pro about half of them seem likely we're going to, sorry, I'm going to go dive deep into this. Jeremiah's going to cut me off soon, but about half of the teams look likely to be in their MLS stadiums, which will look before. And then the other half will be situations like Tacoma uh, where they're in a, a stadium with, you know, in that 500 to 1200, fans attending kind of thing which at times can look interesting depending on the size of the stadium and others um the camera angle might make it look empty yeah i'll say that the critique that i think is a perfectly legit critique of this move is and i i guess this is going against my promise to to not get too into this but i i think that the downside to this move is that you are losing the opportunity to put uh, young players in atmospheres that feel like real pro environments like playing on the road against uh, Phoenix or playing on the road against New Mexico. Uh, they're, you know, playing on the road against Sacramento Republic. There were a bunch of games that uh, these players or Orange County or, you know, there, there were a bunch of games this year, I think, that uh, that Defiance played, especially on the road against real professional outfits that probably created real learning opportunities that they aren't going to be able to replicate in MLS next. Now, the, the trade-off is that the Sounders can now control the schedule. The Sounders can now, if they want to send guys to international tournaments, they can do that more easily. They don't have to worry about balancing the needs of MLS next uh, or their, their academy teams with their, uh, with this pro team. So there, there's, it's a little bit more of a cohesive, you know, situation. I think there are trade-offs, but you know, time will tell if it was good or bad, I suppose. I, I am a little greedy because of the MLS teams that switch from either USL one or USL championship to uh, USL next pro Tacoma defiance was the best of the USL championship teams. Now we are in the same division as Dallas with a uh, North Texas FC, and they have been dominating USL one uh, with a roster that'll be ba- very similar to what defiance's roster has been of uh, predominantly elder teams with one or two um, adenarin types. Uh, they're, they're a dominant side. So, you know, if, whenever those rosters come out, uh, they've been delayed for most of the teams that are making the switch. Uh, I think you'll see uh, Tacoma in the kind of preseason stuff look to be in kind of that two to four kind of range for where they're expected to finish in the West, as opposed to um, most of these seasons where the dream is to be on the bubble and make, you know, the dream has been only accomplished once to have that final game of the regular season matter for playoff standings. Um, so the good news is that Tacoma's experience should help them, um, places like San Jose, Vancouver, Portland, um, basically killed off, not just their lower division teams, but also killed off their higher age groups of their academies for the past year and a half. And and I think it's worth noting that this was the year the defiance, you know, the defiance were good enough that they actually played well against the USL championship winner. Like they orange County ended up winning the USL championship. Uh, 
Defiance, if I remember correctly, went like two and one against uh, Orange County, right? I believe three one and zero for Orange County. They own the tiebreaker on Orange County, San Diego, um, and Sacramento. Basically, yeah, so... the um, the teams that finished like two, four, and five, if if I remember the standings correctly, uh, beating Orange County and San Diego, who both had great, uh, you know, Orange County had a great postseason run. Uh, I'd have to double check, but it was something like three, one and oh, with like a plus six goal differential. Um, Form, and they featured former Sounders, Sean Acoli or Ugo Acoli and uh, Darwin Jones. Uh, yeah, Darwin so, missed most of the season injured. Ugo featured in uh, the win. And in fact, uh, is the reason why Orange County advanced in a shootout. Um, oh, nice. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's maybe that's a good place to call this, I think. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and, and sign off. I'm Jeremiah Shan signing off uh, in behalf of Beth Mantle and Dave Clark. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.